Hello, everyone, and welcome to United Teachers of Lowell's Straight Talk podcast. This is Amy Bisson, and I'm here with Mickey Dumont. We are the hosts of this weekly podcast produced by and for members of the United Teachers of Lowell. In our weekly podcast, you'll hear about local, state, and national issues that affect our members. You'll also hear about some of the accomplishments of our members. We will keep you up to date with news and decisions that impact all of us. Since 2011, the evaluation of educators has become much more data-driven and focused. DESI, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, outlines the requirements for both developing educators or those in the beginning stages of their teaching careers and professional status teachers. Within the evaluation cycle, educators and their evaluators focus on goals that are set by individual educators, grade level teams, by the evaluator, by the departments or groups of educators who have the same roles. Today, we're joined by Pina Maggio, facilitator of Lowell Teacher Academy, as we discuss key definitions and expectations in the evaluation process, including, but not limited to, the four types of educator plans, the performance ratings, designated evaluators, observations, proposed goals, the evaluation cycle, up through January 15th. 2019. Okay, well, we're sitting down today with uh, Mickey Dumont and Pina, and we're going to talk a little bit about the first part of the evaluation cycle for educators. The evaluation cycle does look a bit different for those who are uh, with professional status and those with non-professional status. So let's back up just a bit and talk about what some of those common terms mean. For those who don't know what non-professional and professional status means, let's get a handle on that first. Uh, Pina, um, first of all, uh, we know that there are four educator plans in the evaluation system. Uh, There's the developing educator plan, which is for teachers who are in their first, second, or third year in the district. There's the self-directed growth plan of up to two years for teachers who have what you referenced professional teacher status. Uh, The directed growth plan, which is up to one year, and that's for a teacher with professional teacher status who had been rated a needs improvement. And that plan is generally developed by the educator and the evaluator. And then there's the improvement plan of up to one year. I think the the least amount of time in our district is 45 days for an improvement plan. And that's for teachers with professional teacher status who were rated unsatisfactory. And that plan is developed almost entirely by the evaluator. So you talked about what's the difference between PTS, professional Mm -hmm. teacher status, and teachers without professional teacher status, or PTS. PTS is actually the new term for tenure, Mm -hmm. and a teacher achieves... PTS, professional teacher status, when they have been in the district for three full years working under a valid certification and they are rehired to come back and teach the fourth year. They actually achieve PTS on the first day of the fourth year. I see. So that's that's pretty sim- similar to the old tenure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So 
for the people who are developing educators, they have a little bit different. Um, they do. Yeah, it's almost like a test drive. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and they need a few more check-in points mm -hmm. during the year than teachers who do have professional teacher status. So let's talk about what's happening for those developing teachers uh, at this point in the year. There are teachers who are on one-year plans as developing educators. Those are the people who have taught one, two, or three years. They're most likely in an induction program, Pina, is that correct? Yes, all, all teachers coming into the system, regardless of years of experience, uh, are, in the, uh, are required by DESE to be in an induction program. So by education evaluation, what should have already occurred for these people who are developing? They should have had at least an evaluation of some kind, or observation, not an evaluation. Well, if we're looking at the timeline, okay, but uh, in September, um, we have data summits, so we have early release days. Mm -hmm. It's during that time that the, the uh, administrators, they actually go over the process, this whole evaluation tool, which is very different, you know, from what we had in the past. But by October 31st, the evaluator, the principal, uh, meets with the first-year educators. Those are teachers who have just been hired sure. and are starting their first year in the system to assist them in, in creating their self-assessment and setting their goals. I see. Okay, and that needs that's done uh, by October 31st because the developing... Um, the person who's in their first year needs to submit that by October 31st. And I would jump in here to say that it's not just developing educators who need to submit goals. Every teacher, every educator in the district must create two goals, a professional practice goal mm -hmm. and a student learning goal. And they, they arrive at these goals after the summit subpoena reference during September and October. They use a lot of CPT um, time to go over this with teams to come up with these goals to be the, the basis of their educator plan. So the goal doesn't necessarily have to be just for that one specific educator. It could be for uh, a team of, say, fourth grade teachers, right. or it could be a school-wide goal. It, it could be a school-wide goal, it could be a team goal, or an individual goal. So let's say they've gotten through the goals, it's October 31st. Their goals were approved by their evaluator because I'm assuming they have to submit those. Um, then what happens? Well, as far as the educator is concerned, by December 15th, now they have to submit evidence. I see. And they submit evidence on standards three and four. And what and, are and those also standards? On, and also on the student learning goals and professional goals. Okay. Right. And when we're talking about evidence, as far as the standards are concerned, we're talking about one piece of evidence per standard. We may have several elements within the standard that you're being evaluated on, mm -hmm. but the requirement is only for one piece of evidence per standard. So okay. you can select one of the elements if you wish, but the standard, again, is just one piece of evidence. And the educator actually submits the evidence just for standards three and standard four. Okay, and what are those standards? Standard three is the family outreach and engagement, and standard four is the fulfillment of professional responsibility and growth. Okay, so if you were submitting a piece of evidence for standard three, the family mm -hmm. connections, mm -hmm. 
What are some examples of things that a uh, developing educator might uh, submit? They could submit um, progress reports that they've that they've produced with some back and forth communication between mm -hmm. themselves and the parents or the family. They could submit uh, a family communication log where they've had appointments and meetings with different parents throughout the um, term. And there are any number of things they could uh, prepare. For example, translated documents for families mm -hmm. to show good family communication. They could produce letters and emails and calendars, invitations, a host of things that would show that they are directly impacting the communication between the classroom and the family, the home. Okay. And what the, uh, the evaluator is looking for at this stage is that it isn't just uh, uh, it's a two-way communication. You're not only communicating with the parent, but then the parent is communicating better. So there's a, a dialogue going on. So it's not enough just to submit say, a I copy called, of a newsletter right. or to say, I called uh, right. parent That's, X. You need to show evidence that the parent, that, that there is a response and you uh -huh. there's an ongoing conversation going on between you and the parent or the guardian. Okay, well that helps on that end. Mm -hmm. Now what about standard four? Standard four, well that's about your professional practice and uh, again, there are any number of artifacts or pieces of evidence that a teacher could um, submit. One of them could be um, a course that the teacher attended in order to improve practice, whether it's reading strategies, ELL um, strategies, math um, advancement, whatever it is, they could take a course to improve that. I, I remember one year I did that myself because I had moved from one position to another. And part of my professional practice goal was to take a course in um, mathematics from grades pre-K to four. Mm -hmm. And it was terrific. So, it, and, and it helped me to fulfill my obligation in submitting evidence. Um, other kinds of professional development would be uh, your role in team meetings, mm -hmm. CPTs. Uh, maybe, or perhaps at staff meetings, you uh, take it upon yourself to get up in front of the um, staff to present a new uh, project or a theory. And that is... It, or it could be part of your professional practice I goal. I see. The main thing, though, with this evidence is to connect it back to the goals that you wrote back right. in October. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are connected to the standards in, in one way sure. or another. Sure. Everything, I think, reverts back to the standards. Right. Well, how do you submit this evidence? You obviously don't take a, a pile of papers and give it to your evaluator. How does that happen? Well, we, we, we of course, use the TeachPoint mm -hmm. program, which um, is easily adaptable to teachers being able to submit evidence by uploading it mm -hmm. onto the program itself. There are specific instructions through TeachPoint that allow teachers to do that. And I believe, Pina, is it is it correct that schools during September and October give instructions to, especially to new staff, to inform them on how evidence can be uploaded to the TeachPoint. I would think that at least during, uh, if not during CPT, but at some time, 
they allocate time to show the individuals because a lot of teachers don't know how to do that. But I think what I would suggest, too, is that if you're uncertain about a piece of evidence and you don't know whether it's going to be accepted or not, I would run it by the administrator first and say, this is what I'm planning on uploading Mm -hmm. uh, and getting his or her opinion on it. If you if you're not sure, that's yeah. a great idea. And, and we were talking about this earlier that um, there are cases where a teacher will submit evidence and it gets rejected by the evaluator. I see. So what happens at that yeah. point? Yeah, yeah. Right. December fifteenth, you're running up against a holiday break, and the administrator or the evaluator needs to write a report by of, January. By 15th. January fifteenth. Then what happens is well, right. Okay, so so the administrator looks at your piece of evidence after you've submitted it by December 15th. The administrator says, mm, no, this doesn't really address the goal that she submitted. So she returns it to the teacher and said, I, I need something else. That teacher then has the opportunity to go through their, their documents and their records and come up with another piece of evidence mm-hmm. that they can submit. And at that point, Pina, your suggestion was terrific. I would then, if if I had to resub- or submit a new piece, I would go to the evaluator and say, gee, I'm thinking of submitting this. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Will this fit the need? Right. Right. Yeah. Rather than yeah. keep on submitting yeah. pieces that are going to be rejected. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And having a conversation as to specifically what are you looking for if this is not what what you know, that does not meet your standards uh-huh. yeah. can you explain to me what will meet your standards that's a great so you have some idea yeah. Yeah. because um teachers uh, by rule keep tons and tons of evidence and documentation i have to tell you i just threw out my teach point documents you couldn't part with it could you <laughs> i just did have to recycle them oh my gosh yeah yeah, and we, we do that. We keep them. Yeah. So we do have a repertoire of documents that we can go back to and fall sure. back on. Um, so that's not really the issue. The issue is trying to hone in on what will be the perfect one. Yeah. You know, what is some, the proof? that? Yeah. Right. Some, and I, what I want to add here is it's really important to understand that more is not better. I was just point. going to say okay? that. Because, you know, and then you're setting yes. a standard yes. for others. If you say to yourself, well, instead of one, I'm going to submit ten. And now we're, we're suggesting that everyone else, and then it, it, it escalates. Yes. And the fact remains that one piece of evidence is more than sufficient. You need to be selective about it. But one will do, so let's not go crazy in submitting yeah. more than yeah. that. And you know, I've heard I've heard principals, administrators say that. They quality say, No, no, no. Quality. Don't give me everything they don't that look you've created. Hundreds of pieces give of me, evidence. Give yeah. me your right. best. Um, and you know, we'll be talking later too about the uh, the handbook, the evaluation handbook. Mm-hmm. And when this first started, when the evaluation process first began in Lowell, decided that it wasn't necessary for teachers to submit four to six pieces of evidence or four to six artifacts. And they they all voted to narrow it down to one piece and make it your best piece of evidence. 
And that was that was agreed upon by administrators and educators. And so it makes sense. It does. It does. It does. Especially, you know, you have to also consider an evaluator might be looking at 10 or 15 evaluations and at the end of the year easily, even more. Yeah, easily. Probably more than that. Talking about, you know, to talk about 25, 30 teachers. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. That's it is true. a lot. Yeah. So, that's it, true. And at know, the end of the year, which we'll talk about at another time, they're looking at evidence from every educator. Wow, right. well, that's that's Be quite a huge job. That's right. So, yeah. And I would suggest to because we're talking primar primarily about the developing educator plan. We have mentors in the building. The repeat. You if you are, you you know, if you maybe a little reluctant to go up and ask your administrator, please. Search out your mentor. Mm -hmm. Every new teacher there, every first year, second year teacher has a mentor, yeah. or, or someone on your team who may be able, who has gone through the process, uh, uh, and get some advice. Yeah, you're not alone. That's really important to know. Excellent suggestion, Pina. Where else? We, you talked about mentors, right? Being able to help, especially developing educators. Where else could someone go for some help with Teach Point? So your your mentor. Is it available at your team? Definitely your team. Right. Um, yeah. Your administrator. Mm -hmm. right. People who are, there are people in the building who are proficient with, with technology and who have a grasp and handle on TeachPoint. Mm -hmm. Certainly they would, I would think that they would uh, be available to assist. Sure. Seek, seek them out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the word will get around. If someone says, well, you know, so and so in the grade five, uh, is needs some help with TeachPoint. Teachers are really, they're very, very, they they're, are, they're they? there for yeah. each other. Yeah. And some teacher in the eighth grade is going to come running down and help you, the teacher in the fifth grade. So there will never be a shortage of people who will help you out. So after December 15th, we all do a giant sigh of relief. We right. got our part done. Right. What our new teachers. Our yes. new teachers. What happens next in this process, just so we can kind of anticipate? Well, for the developing educators, they just move into the second half. What, what comes to them after this first process, they will get a formative assessment on January 15th. Mm -hmm. They submit by December 15th. The evaluator gives them a formative assessment by January 15th. So at that time, they'll get a rating of what their progress is to date. Yeah. Now, following that, they'll go through the exact same process from January through March. In March 15th, they have to go through the whole process again. They have to resubmit another piece of evidence for Standard 3, another piece of evidence for Standard 4, also uh, a narrative or artifacts, whatever, that describes the progress that they're making on their professional practice goal, their student learning goal, mm -hmm. and I think that's it. That's yeah. yeah. Well, that's and then quite at that, a lot. <laughs> and at that time, all the other educators in the building, the ones who have professional teacher status, at that time they submit their first piece of evidence. Uh -huh. for one for standard three, one for standard four, um, and then they don't they don't do that again until the end of the second year. Right. New educators do it twice, twice a year. A year in years one, two, and three. And then hopefully they move on to a two-year cycle. A self-directed two-year two -year plan mm -hmm. where they will submit evidence once a year. Well, so they've, they've graduated. 
I think this has probably been very clarifying, especially for our uh, newer uh, educators in Lowell. Um, if there are further questions, again, as Pina suggested, seek out your mentors, seek out a trusted grade level team member, um, talk to your administrator. You're, we're there to support you. You can also right. reach out to the UTL and let us exactly. know. Um, right. I'm sure Pina is available to help, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. So don't be shy. Reach out. And, and, and I think um, December 15th is fast upon us. It is. But I think at this time we would offer to any one of our developing educators the opportunity to contact us. Absolutely. If they have questions about submitting evidence etc. because we'd be more than happy to put them on the path to success. Excellent. And I would also suggest too that if you you're uncomfortable with perhaps what's being requested that you submit, um, again, once again, contact my, Mickey or myself um, because we it, it should not be an unpleasant process for you to go through. Yeah. And uh, the whole purpose behind this is to be collaborative and to ultimately help the teacher to become the best teacher that they can. And so it's not meant to be punitive. It's not meant to be a gotcha. And the process should not reflect that at all. Good point. Good point. Well, thank you, Pina and Mickey, for clarifying the evidence and the submission process. We encourage our listeners to go to our podcast website, www.utl495-straighttalk.com, and we'll post some, uh, not links necessarily, but we'll post some additional information that might be of interest. If you'd like to get in touch with Pina, her LPSD email is pmaggio, P-M-A-G-G-I-O, at lowell.k12.ma.us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We welcome your general comments and feedback. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, or if you're aware of UTL members who might be willing to share their experiences and expertise, send us an email at utl hyphen straight talk at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Amy Bisson with Mickey Dumont and Pina Maju, and we wish you a great week.